Okay, second part of the story here. Action potentials, and we're gonna describe all the phases that happen uh, during the or, or creation of an action potential. First, there are four steps. First step is the resting state, resting member potential. Remember we mentioned there are channels voltage-gated channels. Well, there are voltage-gated channels for sodium and channels for potassium. A resting state, all of them are closed. All of them are closed. Leakage channels, remember we said they're always open for sodium potassium, and they keep the resting membrane potential in minus 70. Now, sodium channels are of two types activation and inactivation gates. The channels, the, the, the sodium channels have two gates, activation gates and inactivation gates. It's like two different doors. These doors or gates clo are closed at rest. When the membrane depolarizes, it, they will open. When they open, sodium will get inside the cell. And it will get inside because there's more sodium outside than inside. You open the door and the sodium comes in. Inactivation gates are doors that at rest are open. But they're a blocking channel once it's open. At some, po at some point when the sodium is coming in, the inactivation gates are gates that will, cl will close and will stop the sodium from flowing there's like two doors, activation and inactivation gates. And uh, the potassium channels, potassium channels, they have only one gate and they are closed at rest. And they will open with depolarization, but with some characteristics. So starting from here, resting potential, all the sodium and potassium channels are closed, everything is at rest. That's represented here, this graph, the voltage gated channels, and the gates are shown here. The activation gates are like, like two doors, like two sliding doors at this end of the channel, and the inactivation gate is like a little ball that comes and closes the channel when the sodium is coming in and it stops the sodium from flowing. But anyway, at rest, they are all closed. In the voltage-gated channels, they have a gate, which is the just a sliding door here, that will open and close depending on the moment. Second phase. I mean, the first phase is seen here in the graph. Number one, resting member potential. The line is the baseline, and the gates are closed. This is closed, and this is closed. Sodium is on this side in more amounts, outside. Potassium is inside in more amounts. Rest in state. Second phase of the action potential. The sodium channels will open. There will be depolarizing currents happening that will promote the voltage-gated channels to open. And if these channels open, the sodium rushes into the cell. 
both activation and inactivation gates, both types of gates will open. And if sodium is coming in, it will cause depolarization. More positive charges is getting into the cell, so this membrane potential starts to change. It's getting less negative. And that opens more voltage-gated channels, sodium channels, until the minus 70 turns into minus 55, minus 50 millivolts, and at that point, all of the channels, practically all channels in that area of the membrane will be open. It's like a positive feedback happening. More and more channels will open at that threshold level. And as a result, we have a peak, a action potential spike. And the membrane potential will now jump and it will get to the other side of the zero, up to plus 30 millivolts, a large peak in the graph, as we see here. Gates are open and the sodium is flowing in. That happens in the second phase. And we see this peak happening in the second phase of the action potential. Depolarization. Third phase. Once the peak is reached, what follows is repolarization. In other words, the curve has to go down back to baseline. Well, what happens here, repolarization is because the sodium channels now get inactive. The, cha the, the gates, the inactivation gates now close. The sodium channel inactivation gates will close. And the permeability to sodium will decline and the spike stops. But this will be the point at which the voltage-gated potassium channels will open. And if the potassium channels open, then the potassium will start leaving the cell because there's more potassium inside than outside the cell. And in that movement, repolarization will happen. The membrane will return to the membrane, resting membrane potential. That's what we see here. See, the inactivation gates are closing. No more sodium is coming in. Instead, or at the same time, the potassium channels will open and potassium starts leaving the cell. And if the positive charges of potassium leave the cell, inside of the cell is returning to be negative now. And that's called repolarization. Number three, we see the line coming down to baseline. And the fourth phase is called hyperpolarization. Because once reaching the baseline, which is minus 70 millivolts, some of these potassium channels remain open and allow excessive efflux of potassium. So a lot of potassium is leaving the cell, even more than it's supposed to uh, happen. And as a consequence, the inside of the membrane will become more negative. 
from minus 70 probably goes to minus 80, minus 90. Hyperpolarization. And the sodium channels will start getting reset, activation and activation during that time. The action potential has happened. Four phases of the action potential. And that's how we see the number four is going lower than the baseline. The baseline is here, so it's lower than the baseline because some of the potassium channels remain open for a little while. But then it returns to baseline again. After phase number four, minus 70 again. And ready for another action potential if necessary. Now, after repolarization, sodium-potassium pumps will start working. And that excessive amount of potassium that is leaving the cell and sodium will get balanced off by action of the sodium-potassium pump. This is the one that actually keeps the resting member potential, restore all the conditions at the end of the action potential. We mentioned something, and that's called the threshold. The threshold is a point at which the action potential will happen. Because not every time that the membrane depolarizes, the neuron will produce an action potential. That's the idea of greater potentials. I mean, some depolarization happens and then fades. As long as they don't reach minus 50, minus 55, they will just disappear and fade. But once the depolarization reaches this point called the threshold, which is minus 55, minus 50, a difference of 50, 20 millivolts, then is when the action potential will happen, no matter what. That's what we call all or none because there is no partial action potential. There is no half action potential. There is an action potential, there is not. It will happen or will not happen. If it reaches the threshold, we will have an action potential. If we don't reach the threshold, no action potential will happen. We call that all or none law. In a threshold, what happens is all these uh, facts, these four here, the membrane is depolarized by 15, 20 millivolts, permeability to sodium increases, the sodium influx exceeds the potassium, and it works like a positive feedback. It promotes opening of all sodium channels, so the action potential will happen. Now this action potential we said at the beginning, that's the signal the neurons work with, and this action potential has to spread, has to go somewhere, has to propagate. And it will, and when we studied the neuron, we said the action potentials are originated in the axon hillock, where the body of the neuron connects to the axon. That is the place where these action potentials are created. And what happens is that sodium influx that happens when the voltage gates open, all that happening in one area of the membrane. But that change in the voltage is making the neighbor cell, the neighbor cell, the neighbor area, the, the area just next to where the action potential is happening, it will start changing in voltage. 
and it will start promoting other sodium channels to change. And they change to the point of threshold again. So the action potential happens in every single segment of the membrane, and it starts moving in one direction. That's how the action potential propagates along the axon. So it leads, this voltage change will lead to depolarization of area and small areas, and in that way, the next area will be depolarized. And it gets to threshold, and it happens another action potential, and then another, and another, and the action potential starts traveling along the axon. It propagates. Once initiated, that action potential starts to self-propagate. Now, there's a difference in the propagation of the action potential because we have two types of nerve fibers. One type of nerve fiber is non-myelinated, not covered by myelin, or just few layers of myelin. And some fibers or axons are myelinated. They are surrounded by myelin. So the propagation of the action potential actually will be different in every type of fiber. And that's how we see the propagation of action potential, how it happens in every segment of the membrane, and it starts moving and propagating from side to side, as we see here. From here, it moves in this direction and keeps moving in one direction, and the segments of the membrane start getting depolarized, depolarized, and action potentials are formed and it starts traveling along. Now, all action potentials, this is an important principle, all action potentials are alike. So, if we are sending a strong signal, it doesn't mean that the action potential has a higher magnitude or is taller in the curve. All action potentials are the same. It's the same. It's like a single um, uh, message. But how we interpret when the, uh, when the signal is stronger? Because there's a stimulus is stronger, but how this is understood? Um, the frequency of impulses. If the stimulus is stronger, that means that there is happening more action potentials. There's a high frequency of action potentials happening. It's not that the action potential is getting more electricity. It's that it's happening at a very, very frequent rate, and that is producing the stronger signal. All action potentials are the same. I mean, next week, we have a, a lab on uh, PhysioX, the software, with the computers, and then we have some uh, simulations of action potentials, and we'll see all of them are the same, no matter how much electricity we apply, we see the same type of action potential. We see it with more frequency, but it's the same shape, the same figure. And that's understood in this way. And we see action potential. Just four here will generate this stimulus. But if we see many of them happening, then now the stimulus is stronger, as we see here. So stronger the stimulus means high frequency of action potential.
There are two moments of the action potential which are known as refractory periods. Refractory periods are moments of the action potential where the neuron cannot trigger another action potential. So it's like resistant. You cannot stimulate the neuron at that moment of refractory periods. And there are two moments. One of them is called absolute because there's no way that you can stimulate a neuron in that moment. Because everything is happening. It's actual sodium channels, potassium channels, and even if you apply more electricity, the mechanism is already triggered. You cannot stop it. You cannot change it by trying to stimulate. But the relative refractory period is a moment at which we can stimulate the neuron. We are able to stimulate the neuron, but if we stimulate it stronger, if the stimulus is stronger, an exceptionally strong stimulus can stimulate an action potential during that moment. It's hard. It's like a protection mechanism for the neuron. It cannot be stimulated too frequently because the neuron will get damaged. And that's how we see absolute refractory period is this moment in green from the beginning of the action potential until about half of the repolarization phase. But then after that, the moment from approximately half of the repolarization curve until return to baseline, that moment is called relative because if I apply a stimulus at this moment, the neuron may respond, but it has to be a very, very ex exceptionally high stimulus, a strong stimulus to stimulate the neuron. Conduction velocity. All this action potential is traveling along the axon of the neuron. And the axons have different characteristics and they will determine how fast the action potential will travel. And there are two factors that determine the speed or rate of propagation of the action potential. One of them is the axon diameter. If the axon has a larger diameter, the speed will be faster. The action potential will travel faster if the diameter of the axon is large. Second factor is the degree of myelination. There are two types of fibers, as we said, myelin unmyelinated and myelinated. They will determine two types of conduction. Continuous will happen in unmyelinated. Saltatory conduction will happen in myelinated fibers. I will see more of this, how it happens. Continuous conduction happens in non-myelinated or unmyelinated, and saltatory conduction happens in myelinated axons. 30 times faster. Why? Because the myelin, the presence of myelin, will make sure that there is good insulation and the signal is not lost. It's like telephone lines. If they are covered with uh, insulator, otherwise the signal will just be lost. 
and the presence of the myelin sheath gaps. That's the importance of that. The one known as nodes of Renvier or myelin sheath gaps that we saw in the Schwann cells, the axons, peripheral nervous system. That's the importance of them. It speeds up the propagation of the action potential. And since these gaps are like the naked part of the axons, those are the places where the action potentials happen because they are in contact with the outside, with the extracellular fluid. The rest of the axon is insulated. And that makes this signal, the electrical signal, appears to jump from gap to gap. That's why the name saltatory conduction, which means like jumping conduction. This is how we see um, the conduction of the action potential in a bare plasma membrane. We see how it happens here, the stimulus, and then the voltage will fade and it will disappear along the axon. In a non-myelinated axon, there is small amount of myelin, but what happens here is that the stimulus starts here, and then it starts stimulating the next area of the membrane until there's more channels, and then the next, and then the next, and so. So that's why it's called continuous conduction, because it happens from area next to another. And in that way, the voltage will not decay, but it will be different with slower than what happens with the myelinated fibers, like we see here. Because what happens here is saltatory conduction, which we see this. The stimulus happens in this naked area of the axon, where the channels are, and is in contact with extracellular fluid here. But then the next action potential will happen in the next naked area, in the myelin sheath gap. And then the next in the next naked area. And in that way, it looks like the signal is jumping from side to side. And that makes it faster. That makes the conduction faster. It's like an analogy of if I want to pass an object to that corner of the room, if I pass it hand by hand, it will take longer. I can just grab the object and throw it in this way and go much faster. That's how these two types of uh, conduction happen. And the myelinated fibers are the ones that innervate the muscles, for instance, the skeletal muscles. Unmyelinated for the smooth muscle of the intestine, where the conduction will be much slower. The diameter is important. The degree of myelination. And the fibers are of different types. The nerve fibers are classified in group A fibers, which are the ones that have the largest diameter. They are located in somatic sensories, motor fibers of the skin, skeletal muscles, joints. Speed, 150 meters per second. That's the fastest conduction because they are the larger, largest diameter fibers, group A. Group B fibers, they are intermediate, 
lightly myelinated and the transmission is about 15 meters per second. And type C or group C fibers are the smallest in diameter and unmyelinated. Therefore, they are the slowest, about one meter per second. B and C, as I said, they are found in visceral motor sensory fibers, visceral organs, right? intestines, cardiac, uh, bronchi, urinary system, all the visceral organs. Questions?